Hi, my name is Kent Eisenhuth, and welcome to the Great Design Lead Podcast. I am a staff UX designer at Google, and I'm leading a program that focuses on data visualization and data accessibility. So before COVID, I was based in New York City. However, during the pandemic, I'm working out of my house in Wynwood, PA, which is just outside of Philadelphia. And I love drawing, Legos, architecture, visual languages, and basically all things design. That's awesome. I'm so excited to talk to you today. We Likewise. We, <laughs> I was really flattered that you were like listening to the podcast episodes beforehand and everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I saw one of the um, episodes on uh, LinkedIn and uh, it looked pretty cool. So uh, I listened to it and, and I found it very intriguing. And uh, I ended up listening to uh, several other episodes and uh, it just seems like a really great podcast, and uh, I'm really excited to be a part of it. Oh, thank you. What well, there, there were so many. For, first, before I go into anything, um, I sent you the the notes on on you uh, before the podcast. How did that that feel to get just like a bunch of stuff about yourself from a person that doesn't know you very well? Yeah, uh, it, it's funny because some of the items that you sent over, I actually completely forgot where it was. <laughs> so I have to say, you, you really dug deep, did some homework. Uh, oh my goodness, I I'm looking forward to you know seeing what's on your mind and, and chatting. <laughs> <laughs> awesome so I guess my uh my very first question um is uh can you describe to me what bolio is oh it's uh yes okay <laughs> so um so I I uh well I live outside of Philadelphia uh my wife and I actually grew up in uh northeast Pennsylvania so more specifically the the coal region yeah. and um it's a pretty tight knit community, uh, very rural. And um, back when uh, the coal mining industry was was popular, um, a lot of different workers, people who worked in the mine immigrated from different uh, countries. And uh, Boilo uh, was actually an adaptation, at least as, as far as I know, it's a coal region Yuletide holiday drink. Mm. And it's an adaptation of Krupnikas, which is, um, I believe it's a Lithuanian uh, celebration drink. So uh, the Lithuanian immigrants uh, brought it into the region. And uh, when you think about a lot of the coal miners back, you know, in the, the 1800s, early 1900s, um, a lot of those families didn't have uh, the money to be able to buy nice liquor or beverages uh, for holiday gatherings. So basically what they did was they took either moonshine or some sort of grain alcohol, in some cases like a really cheap whiskey blend, and they dressed it up with oranges and citrus and holiday spices. And it's almost like um, somewhere between a hot buttered rum and a mulled wine that you serve warm huh. uh, during the holidays. So this is something I'm from just outside of Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Uh, I don't expect a, a lot of folks listening to, to <laughs> where that actually is. Um, it's actually the home of Yingling. So for any you know beer drinkers out there, uh, that's where that started. Uh, but also uh, in that just area, um, the, the county really, Schuylkill County, Pennsylvania, uh, Boilo is is a thing uh, during the holidays. So uh, my family has their own recipe. I kind of tweaked it over the years, and it's something that I brought down to to Philadelphia, 
And uh, yeah, I've been I've been making it for probably 20 years now. And uh, something when we get together for the holidays, we still enjoy. I, I remember seeing these pictures of, of uh, uh, these white bins that had uh, tubes uh, connecting oh, yeah. them and everything. <laughs> okay, so that that was actually something different. So I, I actually am into brewing beer too. And yeah. uh, I haven't done it as much since kids. So my my oldest is five. So I haven't brewed beer probably in about five or six years. And those pictures were actually of my home brewing process. And they were probably oh, wow. taken in our apartment in Center City, Philly. So I used to make my own beer. I make Boilo. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that would make for quite the holiday. <laughs> that is so Yeah, I, I saw uh yeah, when I, I try to like learn as much about people before they come on as possible. And I saw somebody make a comment on Facebook, like uh, so many memories or lack thereof from yes. the the Eisenhuth family bolio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we used to, we used to host a New Year's Eve party uh, when we lived in, in Philadelphia and we had a lot of friends and family over for that. And, and that's where we served it. And I, I would have to imagine uh, the comments probably came from someone who uh, attended a New Year's at our place in Philly. <laughs> but uh, I, I actually think you and I grew up um, uh, in uh, fairly close to each other. I grew up in uh, near Allentown, Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, not far at all. And also not far from Kutztown either. Yes, yes. That Kutztown was about 35 minutes uh, from my house. If, uh, you know, being from Allentown, if you're familiar with the area, um, there's this place right off of Interstate 78, uh, Hawk Mountain, uh, which is a popular hiking yeah. place. Uh, a lot of migratory uh, birds like hawks and eagles and, and different raptors uh, come through there. I, uh, it's pretty well known, I'd say, in, in eastern Pennsylvania. I lived, grew up about five minutes from there, just on the other side of the mountain, actually. Oh, I used to go there all the time growing up with my family going hiking there. It yeah. was it was kind of like a like a 30 minute drive, not too long. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That, that sounds about so right. Funny. Yeah, it's a great place and a really nice place to just kind of escape into nature. And the North Lookout is pretty cool if you hike to that. And the views are, are quite nice there. It's it's a great place. I'm I'm actually looking forward to taking my kids there when they're um, more able to like hike in the woods <laughs> and and you know stuff like that so you can you can hike without uh having them on a leash yeah <laughs> like get away from the cliff <laughs> yeah, we, right now we need a stroller to contain them and it's probably not the most stroller friendly area but uh yeah <laughs> is is the north the north uh lookout is that the one where you have to climb all of those rocks um to like get up to the the top and you, it's just so scary because you're just on a giant uh like I don't know what he's a giant boulder or something like that. Is that what I'm thinking? Yeah, that, that definitely has that component. Um, There's like other lookouts there and stuff too, but that's like the, the most popular one that you can walk to from the visitor center. It might actually be uh, the shortest hike, but I have to say, I I actually haven't been to Hawk mountain admittedly in probably 20 years. So (laughs) I really jogging my memory here a bit on this one. (laughs) So, um, so you grew up, you said it's like right outside of Pottsville. I I saw the, the name of it, but I I don't think I'm going to pronounce it right. Where you grew up? Yeah, it's uh, I grew up in Orangsburg. So I actually mm-hmm. lived in Pottsville for the first for, uh, first four years of my life, 
And then uh, we moved to Orgsburg, which is about 15 minutes south of Pottsville, a very small town. I think the population might be 2,500 people or so. There's just like a, a main town square. It's, it's actually quite a neat and quaint little town. Um, small business district is a lot more built up now than it was during my childhood. Um, but it's, it's quite nice. And it was a wonderful place to grow up. And of course, you could escape out into the farms and, and the woodlands pretty quickly. So um, definitely a nice place. And, you know, for anyone passing through Eastern Pennsylvania, um, it, it's definitely worth a stop. It's a neat place. Uh, what, what was it like growing up there in, in, I grew up in a suburb right outside of Allentown. So we would like go to the park, walk to the pool and stuff like that. So like, what was it like growing up where you're from? Yeah. Uh, well, um, I, I grew up in, in a neighborhood and pretty much, you know, most of the kids in that neighborhood were, were friends and, uh, there were a lot of woods. So like behind my parents' house, there were probably about, I'd say about 20 or 30 acres worth of, of woods that were never developed by the borough. And, huh. uh, we always hung out there. So we were like building forts and tree houses and, Aww. you know, playing all kinds of games in the woods. We'd go over to each other's houses, play football, sports, you know, street hockey, uh, basically we spent a lot of time outdoors. Uh, there really weren't a lot of places to go. And as you know, we became teenagers and stuff like that. The, um, local Dunkin' Donuts was actually <laughs> hang out, uh, in the area. Uh, and of course, like, you know, bowling and going to the movies were like the only other two major things <laughs> to, to do. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty remote. Um, you really learned how to, to like entertain yourself and, and use what you had around you to, to entertain yourself. So I was like hiking. There were actually, uh, the old, I believe it was the Lehigh Valley railroad. Um, mm. the old, uh, railroad ran behind, um, the neighborhood that I lived in. So there were all these really cool, uh, tracks for like ATVs and, and folks who had oh. dirt bikes and stuff. So, uh, all my friends and I, we used to ride our bikes back there. Um, you know, you kind of made your own fun. <laughs> And it made for a pretty cool childhood because uh, I had some close friends, uh, some of those people I'm still in touch with today, uh, 30 plus years later. And yeah, it's it's something, you know, looking at where we live now, which is a suburb of Philadelphia and thinking about like the neighborhood we live in. Um, it has a lot of the, the ingredients of what I grew up with. But then obviously we have a lot more amenities here that we didn't have in Orgsburg and Schuylkill County. So when I think about my own kids growing up, on one hand, that's great. You know, they have things to do and, and places to go. But I also feel like they're going to miss out on, on some of the fun that we had when we were kind of forced into a situation <laughs> where we had to like make our own fun and, and stuff like that. I think that the power of pretend is very, uh, was a lot in your childhood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Side quests and uh, pretend mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In, interestingly enough, the woods behind my parents' house um, at one time was a junkyard. So it was a junkyard, and then the woods kind of grew up through the junkyard over the years. So huh. you kind of had like ingredients of being this cool, like wooded area, and it was a newer forest, but the trees were still fairly large. Uh, but then you'd find these like odd artifacts just kind of poking <laughs> up through the ground. And, and for a kid, like, you know, in elementary school, that was just amazing. So. <laughs> like 
plates and salt shakers. I remember there was like an old hay baler back there and an abandoned shack. So you can imagine there was actually a lot to do uh, if you put your mind to it in an environment like that for a kid. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine like like playing house, playing like any anything that sounds just like a giant stage a giant oh, wooded yeah. stage yeah it was, it was <laughs> so thinking back on on you uh when you were in that elementary school age and you have mm-hmm. all of your friends playing pretend in your backyard um what kind of things did you like doing like what kind of things uh did you just naturally gravitate towards yeah, I mean, I, I love being outside and uh, we had a lot of wildlife in the area. So I always loved like animals and nature. Um, but I always had a passion for drawing uh, from an early mm-hmm. age. So I actually did spend, well, I spent a lot of my childhood outdoors. Um, I did spend a good chunk of it uh, drawing and painting. And as I got older, that was something I became, you know, increasingly interested in. And uh, I've always had an affinity for architecture too. And that actually stems back to my childhood. Um you know, I, I had 56, I think 64 Lego sets in my parents' basement. And so Legos were a huge part of my childhood and something I still frankly love to this day. So I spent a lot of time building things, making things. Um, I still consider myself somewhat of a maker to this day. And that really stems back to uh, that part of my life. What was so fun about Legos to you? No, you could you could create anything that you wanted, and I I just liked uh, building things. And you know, sometimes I'd follow the instructions. I was really into like the Technic sets they had, and uh, some of the the castles, uh, the castle sets, and and whatnot. They had some really cool collections, and I just really always loved like the way things work. For me, it was more about the process of of the building that I found fun more so than the actual outcome. And then as you know, other <laughs> other building sets came into the market like connects I, I really got interested in that and you know building roller coasters out of connects and stuff like that so I, I really just like making things and building things and taking things apart and putting them back together I, I don't know it's it's just something that I've always been fundamentally interested in and uh, it was something that was a, a big part of my childhood as well how do you what how do you organize and and fit 60 plus lego sets in a house like a house of like (laughs) any format how did that work yeah so so my parents house um and it was kind of like an average size house uh, but they had an unfinished basement and they built the house when I was five years old and shortly after that is when I started collecting legos and I (laughs) basically said okay we have some, we're going to use the basement for some storage, but you know what? There's all this empty space. If you don't mind, you know, hanging out in the cement floor or whatever, <laughs> take it. It's yours. So this is awesome. I have a place to go. I have a place to put my stuff. So I had a, I had a 16 by 16, uh, HO gauge train set layout in that basement. We had the 50 Lego sets. I think I had a connects roller coaster and then other building systems that you could imagine constructs were pretty popular in the late eighties. Now I'm really probably dating myself. <laughs> you could build like these, they're kind of like, I would say they're a precursor to connects where you had um, kind of like these plastic uh, rods with um, plastic connector pieces. 
they were more like square and rectangular in shape where connects are more like kind of rods and spherical and uh, you could build like spaceships and all kinds of really cool stuff and and back then uh, again probably dating myself here a bit uh the pieces glowed in the dark which was like a huge deal back in like <laughs> the mid to late 80s so you know for a kid my age I thought that was like the coolest thing ever so yeah every every kind of building system you can imagine I had and and did whatever I could with it and again just love that process of making things I'm imagining you at like seven years old just decked out in every kind of like builder thing it's possible <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I I grew up in the uh uh, like the the average size suburban home with the unfinished basement and for mm-hmm. some reason that's just that was always a a place that was just fun because yeah. it wasn't really um I don't know like I felt like if you spilled something or if you <laughs> mess something up it's just concrete so it's fine exactly and <laughs> exactly yeah you can have your friends down there you could have yep. like your your 11th birthday party down there no yep. one cared <laughs> oh yeah yeah it was it was great and and that was definitely a place where you know friends would hang out when they'd come over to the house and and stuff like that I, I remember I think I was maybe 11 so right at the phase where I still loved Legos but eh, starting to move on a little bit uh, my my mom and dad decided to finish the basement and renovate it oh. so they like basically took this giant kind of square room cut it in half so half became like the storage and in the other half um became kind of like another another family room I ended up moving all of at that point I was really into drawing and stuff so I moved a lot of my art supplies into that side and they were nice enough to to support me in that endeavor and and bought me a drafting table so I had a place to go to draw which was really cool uh, but I, I do remember the day where I started taking down all those models or boxing them. And it, it was kind of sad. <laughs> but yeah. It was a changing of the guard. It was a changing <laughs> of the guard. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah. um, I, I remember uh, hearing a, a story at some point in the research that I did on you that um, there was a point in your life you're like, I love drawing, but it's like not cool. So I'm not uh gonna do that as much anymore do you want to tell me about how you went from I love drawing to I don't know about it to oh I think I like it again (laughs) yeah absolutely that that was an interesting point in my life so um when I think about myself as a teenager growing up in 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 that specific area in in that time and and context um you know there there was uh, bullying going on at, at my school um I I was always known to be like pretty, pretty good at drawing. I had won some art contests at that point in my life. Um, I was really pursuing painting a lot at that point in time too. So, um, you know, uh, looking back at teenagers and, and preteens years, uh, it, it, it wasn't for some people, it, it wasn't cool to do that. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I fell victim to, to some bullying there and, and kind of took it personally. And, uh, I lost my passion a little bit at the time. You know, the older version of me now would have gone back to the teenage version of myself and said, hey, just, just let it go. Like, what the heck are you doing? But, you know, you live and learn. And uh, I didn't quit. It was something I still wanted to do and enjoyed doing. I just did it a bit more quietly uh, mm-hmm. than I had in the past. So maybe not entering as many art contests or really talking about it as much. 
And um, when I when I was looking at you know going to college and and thinking about what it is I I wanted to do, uh, it was it was interesting. My parents were both uh, public school teachers for thirty five years, um, and they kind of looked at me and said, well, you know, you're, you're pretty good at drawing. Do you want to go into graphic design? Now, I, I always wanted to be an architect through and through. I, I still love buildings to this day. And there's still that little bit of, you know, twinge I get when I look at an awesome building or something designed by a really notable architect where it's like, geez, I, I you know what? I still would have loved that. And right around this time that we're talking about, I actually did an independent study with an architect. Mm. And I, I felt very fortunate uh, to do that. And a lot of the things I learned in that, um, just general design principles, um, a lot of the just fundamental ideas we use in UX today, um, I started to learn back then and and I loved it. And the way my brain's wired, um, you know, solving problems at a systematic level uh, always came easy to me and thinking about big picture ideas, more holistic solutions, uh, something I always really enjoyed, even in in this independent study. And I basically learned how to design a house, build a a model, iterate on the design, a lot of the fundamentals of the design thinking process that we we know and and practice today. And I loved it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I get to draw doing this. So I get to continue doing something I love. But I'm, at the time, what I loved about it was I felt like I was solving a greater problem. Mm -hmm. And I could use that, you know, ability to draw, but in a way that would maybe impact somebody's life. Uh, you know, I design a house or a building. That's some, that's a place now that someone's going to live in, or it's going to be a part of somebody's life. And, and I really liked having that connection uh, with people that were going to interact with something that I was making. So I loved it. Uh, fact of the matter was, and, and I, I had an awesome mentor for this independent study. I was a local architect and uh, we really hit it off. The last day, he sat me down and said, okay, do you really want to do this for a living? And I, I was in my teen years, and yeah, I, I, you know, this, this went great. I'd love to learn more. I have a lot to learn. Like, yeah, I want to do this. And he basically was explaining what the lifestyle of an architect is like and how long it actually takes until you are creating holistic solutions. Uh, he was talking about, like, the apprenticeship and stuff. And it started to seem a bit less appealing to me. And then as I transitioned into high school, I felt that uh, math wasn't my strongest subject. And I felt that I really needed that to be successful as an architect at the time. So I I bagged that idea and uh, I thought about some other options. So by the time I went to school, I thought, well, I guess graphic design is the way to go. And at the time, if if I could think back to things I might regret, I wish I really would have looked into different design tracks because if I had to mm. do it over, yeah, I probably might have ended up in the same place, but I really would have loved to have studied industrial design because that I think mm. would have embodied a lot of the fundamentals, things that I liked about architecture, but it could have uh, exercised my love of making things there a bit more <laughs> and also learned some of the fundamental skills of UX that I didn't, wasn't actually able to learn in college at the time because UX wasn't really a thing, you know, back in, in the early 2000s, at least not like it, it is today. So, you know, I feel like the, the natural path for someone who's good at drawing and likes painting is, <laughs> hey, go into graphic design. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so I did. And I was pretty, you know, leery about it. 
Um, my parents arranged a meeting with uh, the program director at the time at the Kutztown Communication uh, Program, a communication design program. And that was Professor Bullock. And he actually started the program way back when. And I'll never forget, we, we pulled up to this house and you know, I'm like a cocky teenager. Like, oh yeah, I, I don't know about this. I'm, I'm just going to humor everybody and, and get out of here and you know, figure out a different path for my life. And as soon as I walked in, they had this little Cape Cod house on the campus where all the professors had their offices. And in 20 minutes, this guy had me so excited about design. And I, I don't know how he did it, but it was just remarkable. And by the end of it, I just walked out of there and, and I, I looked at my parents and said, you know what? This is what I want to do. I, I'm all in. Let's do it. And then from that moment wow. on, I like never looked back and I really embraced it in college. My, my love of drawing came back, my passion for that and design. Um, and I, I was a way better college student than I was a high school student. Like my grades are like <laughs> nice, I would have to say, but it was something, I was doing something I love. I was doing something that I was focusing on an area I wanted to grow a bit more. And a lot of the ingredients of what I loved about doing things early on in my childhood, like building with Legos and drawing and painting, was all starting to come back and fall into place. So it, it felt like the right path at the time. Oh. Yeah. That, that sounds like very, like a very similar um, experience to, to what I had in choosing graphic design and, yeah. and all of this kind of stuff. I, I feel like the thing that you're saying about um, uh, I could have done um, industrial design I could have done uh, did you even know that those were options at that age so so I, I didn't um, going back to your question about what got me interested again too I, I have to give credit to my high school art teacher so yeah. um, when I was in I think it was 11th grade we had a new art teacher come in and and this guy was just Bill Whalen just amazing and uh, he was, he had like a rock and roll band and he had this way <laughs> of just making drawing and art like so cool and awesome. Uh, you'd go to him with an idea and he was the type of person that he was like a yes and person. If you think of like, mm. you'd give an idea and, and he'd, he'd help you take it to the next level and you could riff with this guy and, and come up with something that was great. And I'll never forget, he had a few uh, design schools come in and and talk about their design programs, which I'm truly grateful for because the first time I ever heard the term industrial design was my senior year in this class, and and I thought it was pretty neat. Um, at the time, though, I had already applied to the graphic design program. I had already been um, accepted, had to take an art test, and that program is at least what I was told was it's it's a pretty rigorous uh, selection process. So I thought, okay. I passed the bar here. I'm going to go with it. Uh, you know, David Bullock really sold me in this program. And there were a lot of possibilities because one thing I did like at the time too, is I loved computers and I was taking a, a computer programming course and thought, well, maybe somehow Ooh. I could marry my love of computers with, you know, this, this graphic design discipline and, and might be onto something later um, in life. So I did hear of industrial design, but it was more of like a passing thing. And I, I wish I had known more about it. Huh. Um, when, when we, when we were talking about um, the, the kids that you knew that were kind of putting you down for being into art and being into drawing and stuff like that, 
Um, was there a point where that began or kind of was that just always something that was present? Uh, it began when I started getting more notoriety for, for my drawing and stuff across the school, um, I would have to say. How, how did that present itself? itself? Was it like, um, like making fun of the fact that you liked it or making fun of achievements that you had? Like, how did yeah, that it was, happen? It was, it was kind of all of those things. Um, you know, we, we don't really need to revisit a, a lot of that because, you know, moved on from, from that and, I think there were some some good life lessons there, especially as I got older, kind of looking back at, you know, what what came out of that and stuff. So um, definitely was something happened that I you know, wasn't happy about at the time and and nor would I wish that on on any kid in, you know, middle school or high school. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's also a learning experience, too. And uh, at this point in my life, I, I feel like I'm I'm better for it. Um, it also helped me understand myself, how to, how to treat people better because, you know, I, I didn't want to treat them the way that I was being treated by, you know, a few individuals and, um, you know, celebrating people's accomplishments and, and being more positive in life. And so I, I feel like I'm better off for it. And, and honestly, I ended up pursuing a general path that I feel like I was, I was meant to pursue perhaps. And, uh, it's all good. Huh. I, um have having kids uh I don't know what that's like but a lot of the time I've been told that it really changes your your perspective on things um uh how how do you think that you would um kind of like approach your kid if if they were telling you like let's say I don't know maybe it's a girl that like is super into this uh primarily guy thing and and she's kind of getting made fun of a bit how would you what would you do for her yeah, I, you know, that's a, that's a really great, great question. And, you know, if it's something she's really passionate about, that's something I definitely, you know, would want to help her develop. And, you know, that, that, that could be a passing thing based on the the time and context and, and trying to help her kind of see the the potential and the bigger picture and maybe being a change agent, if that, if that needs to happen in, in whatever it is she's interested in. Um, trying to motivate her to do that because I think yeah. a lot of benefit could come out of that. Huh. Well, uh, moving on to um, you, before you went to college, you you were excited, you uh, were applying and, and everything like that. Um, were were you excited to graduate college or was this like big thing where your life was totally changing? You had no idea what it was going to be like. Yeah, I was I was actually really excited to get out and and working in the industry at that point. And at the time, um, I halfway through college, I had different summer jobs. I worked on a, a moving crew for a while to pay the bills. Uh, I worked as a city worker, fixing water mains, macadaming streets, uh, oh, mowing really? you know, grass and ball fields. And uh, I switched out of that. Uh, because I did a summer abroad in the UK going into my junior year. And I actually started a freelance business at that point. And things were, one thing led to the other and the freelance business was kind of gaining some momentum. And there was a moment, you know, my senior year where I thought, do I want to just go do that? Or do I want to, to work at a firm? So I, I had a really great experience in my internship at the time. I had a lot of support from the faculty uh, in the Kutztown CD program. And I, you know, I, I fell at that point 
there were a lot of options. It was all good. And I was kind of eager to, to get out there and, and, and see what I could do with what I learned. Huh. Well, uh, I've, I've met so many people that have graduated from Kutztown and they, they go off and do all of these like really amazing things. It seems to me, um, at least and seeing the stuff that they do and, the, and especially from the, um, the communications, uh, design route um is there something that's really special about going to school there that that you learn because every not every person but so many people that I meet that are so impressive like oh yeah I went to Kutztown I'm like that's so cool (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting so so the the way the program was structured uh, it was a fine arts degree so the first year to two years let's say um you're really focused on on those core art principles, taking drawing, 2D, 3D design, um, basically all the, the core classes that someone in art ed is going to take, someone who's you know moving out with a fine arts degree um, is going to take and so forth. So uh, the whole program was really kind of you know, steeped in this understanding of art and, and developing you know, your core drawing and, and creating skills. Um, after that, once kind of transitioned into more of the concentrations of the major and and the more specifics of of graphic design. I I feel like they did a great job of teaching and and even instilling the the craft of design in all of us. Mm. Uh, So so even to this day, um, you know, if if I'm talking to a mentor at work or some of my colleagues and, you know, they, I get a compliment on my craftsmanship. uh, (laughs) That's something that, I hold near and dear to my heart, even at this point in my career, 15 years in, uh, because that really goes back to all those things that were instilled in me in that program. So I think they did a great job of just kind of teaching the the craft of design. Hmm. At least and... this is this is back then. <laughs> I know that the courses are different now and, you know, the focus is a little different than maybe it was back then. Yeah, I, I know uh, one person that, that graduated, I think within like the last six years or so, uh, her name's Nellie Ortiz, and uh, okay. um, I she, she's absolutely great. So I think that it's it's still good to this day. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so if, if you're thinking of yourself when you were um, like packing, getting ready for college and like had all these ideas of what it was going to be like based on that conversation that you had in the the Cape Cod house up to the time that, that you're graduating, was it um, what you were expecting? Was it something totally different, that experience of being there? I, I would say it, it, it met my expectations. I, I really didn't know what to expect at the time. I knew that there was a lot of potential there. And based on that, you know, those conversations that again, hit the notes of things I liked earlier on in my childhood, I knew I could find something that I felt would be a fit for me after, after college. And um, I also knew I could, I could have a sustainable career in that industry. Um, I, I learned a lot though, you know, going through the program and I really, you know, early on opened my mind and just how to approach like drawing and, and painting and, and even problem solving really. And then uh, later on, I, I really learned a lot more about um you know, print design, typography, all these things like I, I didn't really expect when I initially went into it, uh, but really just kind of maintain an open mind. So I'd have to say 
uh, it really exceeded my expectations in a lot of ways. Uh, my perspective did change a bit. Um, so early on, uh, there was, and I, I forget the designer's name, uh, they were really touting him because he worked <laughs> at uh, Blue Sky Productions and worked on like the Ice Age movies. So we had like oh, alumni wow. working on animated features. We had alumni who were working in um, really uh, interesting advertising agencies, of course, branding, and they were just kind of figuring out the uh, interactive concentrations that was more like web design. This was like predates UX. Uh, <laughs> and, and that was something that I, I really wanted to pursue because I thought, again, I, I knew I liked working with computers at that point. I had, I knew enough about programming at that point to be dangerous too. So I felt like <laughs> well, maybe there's something there. I, I could combine that little bit of knowledge with, uh, with uh, this design knowledge, and maybe I'd be onto something there. And that, and ultimately, that's really what I ended up uh, pursuing. Huh. So that that is so cool because um, uh, you know the the whole thing between the the division line um between design and art and and uh, all of this formal stuff, and then development and learning all these languages and all of this kind of stuff. I said stuff twice, um, <laughs> but I I found that really interesting in in anybody that I meet that is interested in both because I think the ability to um, cr create something um, creative and then implement it and make it real and breathe life into it that being in one person is so interesting. Yeah, I, I and I, I kind of took it a little too far. I'd say earlier in my career, so like. Um, I, I always thought that there was potential there. And uh, when I had my first job, uh, I wanted to be able to build uh, most of the things that I was designing. Uh, because mm -hmm. if I, and I worked in a, a very small advertising agency um, in Kutztown. And, and back then, this is shortly after the, the dot-com crash. Um, small advertising agency, I mean, that's... It's hard to put a label on it because mm -hmm. uh, companies like that were taking at the time any sort of interactive project imaginable. So that could be a website, that could be you know banner ads and, and marketing collateral. Um, it could also be product design. And and the company that I started out at kind of took on on everything, and as did a lot of companies. I would say you know back then. And I thought, well, you know, this is this is a great place to to experiment with with that, right? Like, I can I can do some design work, I can I can build something. And what I, the lesson I learned pretty quickly, uh, I would say, in there, is that while I felt like I knew enough code to be dangerous, uh, I was in no shape to be shipping production ready code, uh, nor should I have been expected to. And that actually added a lot of stress, and it took a lot of time away from me being creative and developing more of those creative skills. So four years in, I was looking at a new role at, at a different company. And as I started talking to recruiters, they're saying to me, well, you're either a developer or you're a designer and you're not both. And, and very quickly, I started feeling a little bit like a misfit to some degree because mm -hmm. You know, if I, I showed a portfolio piece of something that I designed and built, well, you know, I'd get feedback. Well, you know, show me the code if you want to build something like this in the future and don't talk at all about the design. 
or do the inverse of that. Talk about the design. And I don't care about the code if you want to be designer. And what I started realizing was around that same time um, at that company, I worked for a consumer electronics company outside of um, Allentown, Lutron. They were one of our, our clients. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're and, talking about. Yeah, and Lutron, they um, we started doing some marketing materials, like websites and stuff for them. Uh, but they actually brought us in to their product design teams at the time. And I, I really enjoyed working with product. And I started to realize the things that they were asking me to do were really UX problems that I was solving. So we were actually designing systems. And this is back in 2007. So not too long after the iPhone, first iPhone rolled out. Um, App Store was new at the time. They were thinking about, okay, they wanted me to help them figure out how to use an iPhone to control the lights in a house and the shades or control the lighting in your office. And you know, those, those early ideas around mobile apps and, and how they work and, and how to create something that's going to be integrated with a product experience. Uh, there was something there I, I really liked. And again, it was, it, for me, I, I didn't know what UX was, uh, <laughs> but I was actually kind of finding my way into it. So when I was looking for another job at the time and having these conversations where I felt like a recruiting team or a company really wanted to silo me in one area, uh, I started to realize if I focused more on UX, I could really spread my wings. And I, I hadn't heard the term yet until my my second job. And then once I started realizing what was involved with it, everything kind of clicked. And all those things I loved about architecture came back. And, wow. you know, I, and I, I could use my, you know, my technical ability to create a prototype. And if it was something that helped me communicate my idea better to an engineer, uh, that's great. And, you know, you could get into the whole debate, should designers code and, and whatnot. Um, I, I don't think they necessarily should, but I will say that helped me out of, or that actually helped me move forward with several different projects in, in you know, several different companies. It got me out of binds a few times too. So um, I started to realize UX was where it was at and I didn't feel like a misfit anymore per se, because I could start using all those skills I loved and I could think about something a bit more holistically and really have an effect on, on a product. And I realized at that point, that's where I wanted to go. That is so interesting that, um, I had a con. So this is a similar, uh, very different thing, but very similar feeling. Um, mm-hmm. I had a conversation with one of my friends recently and, um, he's Indian. His parents came here from India. He was born in Jersey and he was telling me about like um he's like i'm i'm so many people they tell me i'm i i don't fit into either category he said i go home to india i see my family and i'm too american and then i i come here and then i'm too indian and he's like what am i why can't i be both <laughs> and it's a totally different thing cuz that's more like identity and and all of this kind of stuff but when it comes to like things that you can do the idea that you have to be siloed in, in one or the other now after seeing things like webflow seeing things like all this oh, yeah. other kind of stuff it's it seems very outdated oh it is and keep in mind this was back in 2000 um probably like 2008 2009 yeah so quite quite a quite a while ago a lot has changed since then but you know i, I feel like i was in the 
the formative years of my career and and hearing yeah. that just uh, it, it it wasn't fun you know and uh for me kind of like the big takeaway and lesson there was um it wasn't about it it wasn't about me not having something or having something or fitting into a bucket it was about finding the right people that had the same mindset as me that could help me flourish and at one point it was my third job I realized the third company I worked for, I went all in on UX. Um, I actually worked at this place, Electronic Inc. in Center City, Philly. They're, they're now Frog Design. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah. And I think uh, you're a Drexel alumni, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we had a lot of co-ops from the Drexel design program uh, work at Electronic Inc., uh, incidentally. So um, at some point, we, we might know people uh, that <laughs> both work there. Uh, so Electronic Inc., now Frog Design, they went through several acquisitions in the past, I'd say, you know, seven years or so. Um, it, it was interesting. That's where I really kind of found myself. This was about five years into my career. This is when I decided, okay, I, I want to make a turn into UX. Advertising is not for me. I don't want to solely focus on visual design. I don't want to be stuck using action script to make flash banners the rest of my life, <laughs> and, you know, for... <laughs> Uh, for pharmaceutical companies or what, what, whatever I, you know, was working on back then. And um, that's where I realized, okay, I, I have a home here and, and it's okay that I kind of have these skills that are, don't fit neatly into, into specific buckets uh, because the way that company was set up, uh, the way the culture was there, uh, they were just looking for creative people that could solve problems. And that's really where I learned the discipline of UX and, at a place like EI, we worked with design researchers and, and that was very eye-opening because when I worked in advertising, at least at the places I worked at, there was no research. Uh, we either had mm -hmm. a, a design manager or a creative director basically say, okay, this is what we're doing. Uh, but taking a more evidence-based approach to design, just that, that was, I felt right at home in that and, and learning about how to do that. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful to this day for the folks at EI, especially my mentors there for I'm taking a chance on me because uh, they could have looked at my resume and said, you know what, you don't have this relevant experience. We're going to move on to the next person. Um, but what I did love at the time, this was uh, 2011, they, um, they had this mindset that either you're creative or you're not. And if you are, we're going to help you develop that skill. And, and lucky enough for me, I, they felt that I, <laughs> I had some creativity and some things going for me. So I, I went there and I really flourished in, in three years. And it was an intense job. There was a lot of traveling. Uh, there were a lot of interesting problems to solve. Uh, they branded themselves as a consultancy. So uh, as we were thinking about design challenges, a lot of them were more enterprise and focused. You were kind of like focused on one project that was specific to maybe one industry vertical at, for you know five, six, nine months or so. And then you're moving on to something completely different, a whole new space that you had to learn about. Wow. Uh, so that, that was kind of intense, but I learned a lot. And the, the people that they had on that design team were just outstanding. I mean, it, as far as at the time, at least design teams in Philadelphia went, I feel like if there were ever a creative bake-off back in 2011 <laughs> firms in, in Philly, uh, that team was just a powerhouse and probably would have won. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, uh, there's so so many things to go from there. Yeah. Um, so um, when I first found out that UX was even a thing, um, uh, it was because my friend, uh, 
he was showing me he did a presentation he was the friend that uh in class would always do everything to the extra mile and do and not sleep and he would show up with this amazing stuff and then like like take a nap right after class and stuff like that and he was doing his work in adobe xd and i had this this extra uh, elective and i just really didn't want to do it in person i really didn't want to sit through other people's presentations and everything i was like i just need some independent thing to do i was like i'll learn adobe xd and once i i um took this class uh it was like a udemy class um Mm -hmm. And it was just teaching you about Adobe XD, but then I didn't realize it was teaching you all about research, all about Mm -hmm. all the different steps and everything like that. And it was an incredible class. I, it it totally changed the way that I I looked at everything. And um, before that, I I was in graphic design. Um, I knew it was the closest thing to what I wanted to do, but I was so scared because, um, uh, I knew that it wasn't a hundred percent and that something was missing, but mm-hmm. I had no idea what that was. And yep. so that was a really scary feeling. And so yeah. I'm wondering if you felt similar. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm really glad to hear you say that too. Cause um, uh, that was definitely a thing for me um, at that time. The, the cool thing about UX uh, back, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, let's say uh, when it was becoming let's say less maybe about human factors and more about like its own, its own discipline. Um, what, what I loved about it is you had people coming from different backgrounds into the field. So you had people who had architecture degrees coming into UX, mm. you had people with industrial design expertise coming into UX. Uh, you had visual designers like myself coming into, into UX. And it was a really great melting pot of skills yet we were all like working on you know the same process and and design thinking especially back then was was all the rage and <laughs> it definitely filled a lot of the gaps that you know the things that were missing for me uh earlier in my career because there was a point where i thought geez if i'm just pushing pixels the rest of my life you know i i don't i don't like this yeah um i also had a um i I was diagnosed with a mild form of a, of dyslexia as a, as a child. Mm. And, um, you know, even to this day, it takes me longer to read and and to write emails and stuff like that. Um, and, and the way my brain is wired, focusing on like the design of letter forms is just not (laughs) a thing. And when I worked in advertising, I, I worked in pharma advertising for a brief stint and, you know, they were trying to have me like, spot errors in copy and stuff like that which was just excruciating and 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 again putting all that aside and going into something ux where i could you know i started to realize what my strengths were and i felt at the time it you know there were a lot of better visual designers than me out there but i felt like if i could I, i i was reasonably good at storytelling i found like i had a lot of success in that uh problem solving and then um, coming up with bigger picture concepts and then executing them. So I used everything I learned at Kutztown for more of, you know, the later parts of the, uh, the process. And I realized, like, once I got into UX, like, that, that was the home. That, that's where I could really leverage my strengths. And I didn't have to worry about those other things that were kind of, like, holding me down earlier in my career. There... There's a moment that I I find interesting in people's lives when 
they find something that um kind of changes their life um yeah. and and it's the moment when it, it they discover it and then they haven't told anybody yet and yeah. then the moment where they go to someone that's close to them maybe their their wife boyfriend anybody and they say hey i i think i found something interesting what yeah. was that moment for you yeah that was that was probably then because really like all the things that i i loved as a child were coming back and it, it wasn't just about UX though. It was, it was finding UX, but also being surrounded by the right people that had the same mindset that could really help me develop my skills. So like to this day, I I'm grateful for the principal team that was working at, at electronic Inc at the time. Um, my, my, I had a, an amazing mentor who I'm, I'm still in touch with and she really, you know, helped me develop uh, my love for data visualization and infographics. And, and once I started to realize like there was something there, uh, I really started to then see the, the path that I could take. So I spent a lot of time at Electronic Inc. learning the discipline uh, because I realized now I had to make up for lost time. And this is where I felt like if I went in, in, into architecture or industrial design instead of graphic design, maybe I would have been able to make that turn sooner. Um, because I felt like in industrial design, perhaps um, a lot of the things they would teach you in a program like that would have been directly applicable to UX. And I, I really had this kind of chip on my shoulder. I felt like I was behind the curve at the time. Mm. Uh, so I just wanted to be a sponge and soak up as much as I could, uh, try to leverage my strengths in that job and learn as much as I could from, from my mentors and, and the other folks in the design team, which, which I felt like I did. Um, at one point, the, you know, there's a lot of traveling and stuff. I, I wanted to take a break from that. Uh, so I started to think about what do I want to do next? And this is probably about seven years into my career at this point. And I realized at the time, a lot of the work was enterprise work. And we were thinking about how to make business systems more efficient or processes that, you know, a consumer might go through on a website to check out or, or do something. Uh, we were getting into service design. But at the end of the day, it felt like a lot of the work we were doing it was about making corporations richer or rich people richer. Mm. And I felt like, okay, I learned this discipline and I, I'm getting there. I still had a ways to go, but like, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident now. Uh, how can I apply my skills in a way that people will just benefit from and, and really apply it to something good? Uh, so I kind of, this might sound a little cheesy. I set that as my overarching mission or goal that I was going to try to pursue for, you know, the next two thirds of my career. And then I started thinking, once I realized like how much you can actually apply design to, whether it's like the interface on that astronauts are going to use on a rocket ship to, to fly to the moon or, or Mars, or um, the interface in, in a self-driving car or, you know, whatever it might be, you, you can apply design in, to a lot of great things in a meaningful way. That's when I started to think about, okay, what have I learned here and how can I apply that to something interesting in the future that's going to benefit people and, and impact them in a positive way? So I started thinking about how to make that shift and then what companies could I work at that would help me achieve that, that sort of goal and still have the same like culture and, and design belief system that I believed in and would be a good fit for me. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's when I started thinking more about places like Google and um how I might be able to practice design there in a way that could, and Google has billions of users. How might I be able to do that and, and, and get my work out there and, and do it for a good cause and, and a good reason. Uh, so that's, 
that's uh, where I kind of shifted the direction and in, in focus in my career. Um, I went to another company to wait out my non-compete with Electronic Inc. for um, a year. Mm. And um, when I did that, I also realized I, I had a little bit of a throwback to where I was early in my career, where I felt siloed again. Because uh, mm. that, that company, the design department, um, the mindset was very much, well, if you're not a researcher, uh, you have no business creating wireframes or thinking about solutions. You're a visual designer, so push pixels. Now, that, that's... That's that was horrible for me. Now, some of the people that I worked with at Electronic Inc. went there and we were all trying to change the culture, but it was really hard to do that. Uh, so I, I ran out of steam pretty quickly. And um, at that point, I had been talking to Google. I, I had cleared their hiring bar and, and I decided to uh, to go for it. So that's wow. that's how I got to the company that that I'm working at today. Um, there's a lot more to that story, too, because um, you know, different people have different views of, of Google and, and what they're doing and stuff. And there's, in, in my opinion, there's still a lot of really good things you can do for people as a designer at a company and at a big tech company. And uh, that's really what I've been uh, pursuing in the last seven years. Wow. So huh. when, when you were um, working at Electronic Inc., uh, when you like first got there and you're like, I'm a sponge, there's all these things I need yeah. to learn, all this kind of stuff. Did you even think it it would be possible one day for you to be where you are now? Do you think you would have believed yourself? I didn't because I had to gain my confidence. And at that point in my mm-hmm. career, I didn't have any. So it really took working there and working with the right people to kind of build that up. I, I and- really had imposter syndrome when I started working at Electronic Inc., Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, I I have to tell you, uh, I actually know one person that you used to work with. Um, uh, when I was applying to college, um, sometimes they they have you do these uh, phone interviews with an alumni, and they match yeah, you up with yeah. somebody. I had in 2016, I had a, a phone interview with Harold Hambrose. Oh yeah, founded uh, <laughs> Electronic Inc. Absolutely. Yeah, and it it was so cool to talk to him. He was he was so nice, and he was talking to me more about like websites and experiences and stuff like that. I'm like, I'm never going to do that. I'm in graphic design. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and but but he um he really stuck out to me more than and I did a whole bunch of those those phone interviews, but he was the only one that I really remembered. Yeah, and and you know he um he started that company and, and was able to find uh, some like-minded designers to pursue that mission with him. And uh, when I interviewed there, I actually never interviewed with Harold directly. Um, but even meeting him very early on in my career, um, there were times where we'd have coffee and just kind of talk about some of the work that we were doing. Uh, I really liked his point of view as a designer and, um, you know, just, just kind of like, again, that belief system uh, that, that he really kind of upheld uh, worked for me. And, uh, you know, we were aligned in that and, and that's a beautiful thing. So for me, I felt like, okay, there's any place that I can really grow. It's going to be on, on Harold's team. And uh, like I said, the, the design leadership team he had at the time, especially the, the principals and, and some of the leads and, and even some of the other senior designers I worked with at the time were just, just fantastic. And, 
I, I just really felt like I flourished there and, and kind of blossomed and really grew my, my ability to be a creative. And I also grew my confidence there too, which was important. So like my job prior to that, I was told by a creative director that was a very left brain designer and, and not too creative to going there and being in the right environment with the right people. And that kind of helped me grow and, and flourish to being told, no, you're actually one of the more creative people on, on this team. So it was really interesting, you know, that transition, but Again, some of those earlier experiences where I was told one thing, um, you know, I kind of let get to me early, early on in my career. And uh, it took a place like EI to, to help me build some confidence back and being with the right people again. And yeah, that, that kind of helped me manage that and get through it. Having all of these different experiences with all of these different people that have very conflicting advice yeah. for you or opinions on on uh where you you land in in this i don't know design development world um have you gotten to the point where you're like i think i know where i stand oh yeah absolutely and i'm very comfortable <laughs> with it too you know it's it those experiences as much as they you know were pretty rough at times um also led me to the experiences and and down the path that i took so I learned a lot about myself in, in that process. And I learned a lot about, you know, where my strengths are and what I can bring to the table in, in a design project and, and for a company. So having that in mind, I realized, you know, those are the skills I really want to grow. And, yeah. and that's really what I want to focus on. I, I can do these other things, but really at the end of the day, I'm going to continue to work on, you know, the aspects of my career, the, the skills that I have that are going to make me successful. And I'm going to have to leverage my strengths. And, and EI helped me realize that. And, and that's what I've been really doing ever since. And really interesting, when I got to Google, actually. So Harold is um, Harold Hambros. He went to CMU. And mm -hmm. he actually had some CMU professors come in very early on and do. Um, it, was, it was basically like a design camp for a week. And uh, you could tell there, the way that they thought about UX at the time and the way Harold thought about it was very aligned. And when I joined Google... Uh, a lot of my colleagues were CMU alumni and the way the teams yeah. were structured, it was basically like electronic ink all over again. And I realized that was the magic formula for me uh, where I, it didn't matter if, you know, I didn't belong neat or fit neatly into a silo or I didn't have this, um, you know, criteria for my education, right. Or the right degree. Uh, it was a matter of getting the right people in the room that could solve the problem and and be creative and and take an evidence based approach to design and and Google felt like EI all over again so I knew again like I'm in the right place this is another place where I can really flourish and when I joined there I worked on a, a team working on internal products because it was a lot like what EI had focused on and even the job I had in between EI and and Google. So it's something familiar I could hold on to as I learned more about this giant corporation with all these other designers and, and engineers oh, wow. and, and whatnot. And then uh, from there, I, I tried to lay out the path of starting to work on projects that helped me kind of achieve that, that mission I set out to accomplish uh, years before I interviewed there. Wow. Yeah, for, for anybody that's like international, uh, CMU, uh, Carnegie Mellon University, yes. which is uh, that... That's so interesting that the the secret sauce and how that worked out for you and everything like that. Huh. I'm trying yeah. before we go to the next, I'm trying to think if there's anything I want to bring up about that part of your life. Well, there's a couple um, other crucial like 
turning points that happened at that point too. So yeah, again, I, I can't say enough positive things about the designers and the researchers that I was like immediately surrounded with at, at Electronic Inc. And they had this culture where some of the people were teachers and adjunct professors. Now, coming from two parents that 35 years teaching in the public school system in Pennsylvania, uh, education's in my blood a bit. It's almost like the family business. And uh, I I had um, an opportunity to become an adjunct instructor um, at at Drexel, actually. Uh, So so I took it. Uh, My mentor basically told me, hey, if you're at all interested in teaching, she was doing it at the time, um, I believe at Micah. She said, do it. And that was enough for me to to jump in. And I, I did it for two semesters at Drexel. I taught the Web 1 course. They were just starting to bring... Uh, basic CSS and HTML and and coding into the graphic design program at the time. This would have been back in 2012. And and I thought, okay, I can get my feet wet here. This is something I'm comfortable with. And I I know I have knowledge that hopefully the students would find useful. Um, I did that for two semesters. And then I thought, okay, I I did that. I'd rather teach something else that's a bit more design focused. And uh, I had an opportunity to teach at Penn then and co-teach a class on design thinking. And one of my colleagues at EI and I um, started this class at Penn. It was called Interfacing Cultures. And it was a a lot about um, using APIs and mixing media to create digital experiences. We brought a lot of our our UX knowledge into the class. And I had a lot of fun uh, doing that. So co-teaching was a great experience. We taught a Friday class. It was four hours straight through, and it was a four-credit senior elective course. Um, I realized that I liked teaching an elective course rather than teaching a required course, um, because, you know, not not everybody in in graphic design really wanted to be in a class where we were starting to learn concepts about coding, and it, it took a lot of effort to get, you know, folks in the room who weren't ready to pursue that path, like, up to speed and, and really excited about it. And when you move from something like a requirement for a sophomore level student to a senior elective and also a class that grad students can take where everybody is really excited about the content and wants to be there, uh, I found that to be a really energizing experience. So I actually taught at Penn for five years, uh, this class. And um, again, it all goes back to this pivotal three-year span of time where I was finding myself as a UX designer I realized I could also use my knowledge to do other things. So, well, yeah, maybe the focus of the work I was doing for clients and customers of EI wasn't my favorite at times. And, you know, with every design job, you're going to end up doing something that's a little bit boring at times and maybe not the most creative. Uh, That really kind of fulfilled that other, you know, that that really scratched that other itch, if you will, that, that I had to like, okay, here's something I can do where... Uh, I can mentor design students and, you know, maybe teach them a few things. And uh, that that started to help me accomplish that mission of trying to use my skills to to help other people. And, and teaching was a very, very fulfilling experience. So this was happening at that transitional time. The other thing that happened was um, Electronic Inc. was starting a design blog. And I had several coworkers you know, as I started working on, on some different projects, come to me and basically say, you know, you should start writing for the blog. Now, again, I, I don't consider myself a strong writer by any stretch of the imagination. I had mentioned earlier, it takes me <laughs> exponentially longer to type emails, but I thought, well, what the heck, I'll, I'll give it a try. I had some free time and I did. 
And I, I realized uh, through a couple of early posts that I, I really actually enjoyed writing about design or, or something that was on my mind related to work that I was doing. And I actually gained some confidence as a writer. I won't call myself a writer, but like, you know, publishing design blog posts and stuff like that. So those kind of three things that happen, finding UX, starting to write a little bit, and then also teaching is really the big pivotal point in my career that helped me gain the confidence to end up where I am today and also the experience. That's an incredible time in your life. What is that? That's like a five-year time span? Yeah, I, it was about a three-year time span at the time. So so my wife, um, we got married in 2010. She mm-hmm. was in medical school um, at, at PCOM, Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, she The year before she graduated, the year she graduated, sorry, is the year I started working at Electronic Inc. So we actually used to live in Reading, Pennsylvania at the time, and we moved okay. to Philly. I was actually commuting from Reading to Philly for about a year there. So we moved to Center City, Philly. Um, I realized that to start working electronic ink, she's in residency. Now her hours in residency, we're talking, she would work a 24 hour shift. She was going to be an OBGYN and they would do like a 24 hour call. They would do 12 hour shifts. I think she only had one full weekend off per month. And then you can imagine the actual days at the hospital working in the clinic or working with some of the different practices that were part of the hospital system. We're talking at least like 12 hour days. And she worked at Mainline Health, which is about, I'd say a 20 minute drive outside of Center City. It's, it's out near Ardmore and Bryn Mawr, like the Philly Mainline area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a little bit of a commute there too. And I felt, okay, I had all this free time. I, I could use it to go party with friends, but I thought, you know what? I, I found this new field I like. I wanted to use the time for something constructive that hopefully we could both benefit from later in life. So that's where I really threw down and studying more about design, about UX, what it means to be a UX designer. Um, I, I still did a little freelance work at that point in my life. Um, I built a lot of prototypes, tried a lot of experimental projects for Electronic Inc. at the time. And that's really where I also learned a lot and, and really put a lot of effort and and energy into into my career at that time while my wife was doing the same with her career at the hospital. So that also kind of helped me get to where I'm at right now too. And I'm really fortunate for that because it sounds horrible. You know, your significant other's gone more than, you know, than, than she is at home and thought, well, uh, I, like I said, I could use the time for something like partying, but, or whatever, hanging out with friends, <laughs> but let's, let's put that time into doing something constructive. And that's what I did. I think sometimes that can be a really helpful time in relationships. Uh, I, I know that um, I was apart from, I mean, this isn't the same thing, but I was apart from uh, my boyfriend for, for six months when I did a internship in another city. And it was, it, I, I missed him a lot, but at the same time, it was, really helpful in the long run of okay well what is what it is what is it that I want to do what is it and you can kind of think about your yourself a bit more and see all of these things that you gravitate towards when there's nobody else around you good or bad do you think that that was a really helpful thing in your life even though it wasn't really your choice (laughs) yeah well it 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 was but it wasn't right so like it absolutely was and um yeah, I it, I spent that time learning what it meant to be a UX designer and kind of filling those gaps that I thought weren't filled like in, in design school or when I was working in advertising as a visual designer. 
Yeah. Yeah. One time somebody asked me um, this funny question, and I want to ask you it because it kind of like caught me off guard. Uh, so if if you were in your, your wife's perspective at that time period of that, that three-year time gap where um, you're doing something different than graphic design, you're teaching, you're doing all of these things, this transition time, how do you think she would describe you uh, before that time? And then after that three-year time, do you think you were you were a different person? I I, I think, you know, and we, we had talked about this in the past um, around that time. And I, I think what ended up happening was I really kind of found my confidence and, and she felt like I, I had more potential than um, that I wasn't meeting my potential at the time earlier in my career. And, you know, EI was like a renaissance for me that that whole time period was really. And um, she felt like I, I used it to live up to um, the potential she thought, you know, I, I had and was doing a better job of living up to my potential at the time. So she was always super supportive and she's, she remains to be so to this day, which is amazing because I couldn't do this without her support. <laughs> <laughs> how um, how does that feel to... Uh, to have the person that that like you love the most say hey wow like you're finally doing the thing that that I know I knew you could do oh, and you're doing it it's it's great I mean it's it's it, it feels great and you know I I've always tried to do the same for her as well and um, we've always we, we both have fairly demanding careers but we've always you know made it work and at that time, especially what was fun, we kind of lived by the work hard, play hard mentality. <laughs> so when we were together, we really threw down and, and <laughs> times in, in Philly. So, uh, you know, I think to some of the best years in, in my life, that that time in residency when I was working at Electronic Inc., it was like the craziest of times, but also in some ways it was it was the best of times too. And we both look back at that three to five year stretch, you know, with, with fond memories. Aww. So, so back in, in your timeline, oh, I, before I go into that, um, you were talking about how your family um, teaching is kind of like the family business. Yeah. I, my, my dad's side of the family, like they're, they're all teachers and, and have been for a very, very long time. It's kind of funny. They're all, they're New York Italians. And so it's kind of yeah, suspicious yeah. sometimes when they're like, oh, everyone was a teacher. I'm like, every single person was a teacher. That's like, <laughs> you have like a coordinated story going on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but other than that, um, uh, it's, it's, you were talking about how it was really fulfilling to, to help other people and things like that. When, Absolutely. when it, when it comes to teaching and, and that, um, what what does that really mean to you and, and and why do you get so much out of it yeah so um you know there when i look back to my drexel days and penn days um there were always some students who were like really eager to learn and you knew had some talent and you know being able to help them develop that find themselves in their career path I was always important to me. And, and when I think back to my childhood, I mentioned the architect that I did an independent study with. I mentioned um, you know, my art teacher in high school, um, some of the, uh, the principals at Electronic Inc. I've, I've always been super fortunate and lucky to have excellent mentorship my entire life. And that's something that has meant the world to me. And I just wanted to be able to do that for somebody else and, and pay it mm -hmm. forward. 
because uh, knowing about the experiences that I had, the advice that I've been given, um, and, and I've also had some excellent professors too in college that I'm still in touch with as well. And even to like my, my current and, and last manager at Google, um, again, excellent mentorship there. Uh, I want to be able to pay that forward because I know what that did for me and I want to be able to do that for somebody else. And I can think of students at both Drexel and Penn uh, that were in my classes, some of which I'm still in touch with. And to me, uh, I like to think that maybe I had a hand in helping them, you know, see the world in a different way, find themselves um, sooner than I did in my career and also help them flourish. And it's very rewarding to see what some of my former students are doing today. And, um, you know, I, I hope maybe they took away something from my class that, that led them down that path. Um, but if not, you know, I, I still think of I, I still think of that and it, it means a lot to me as as somebody who is involved with education. Um, do you ever have times where it's hard to articulate um, to someone how much what they did for you meant to you? Yeah, it, it does, you know, and I, I try to do it in different ways and and uh, think back to specific times and explain how that led to maybe an outcome that I can speak to today and it, it seems to work sometimes, but it, it's really hard to put that into words, you know, and yeah. Uh, it's it's very funny how um, things sometimes happen just kind of like by chance and things like that, especially meeting someone, uh, having one professor over another, um, all of that kind of stuff. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you ever met um, Josh uh, Dovin, who, uh, yes, yes. He was my web professor. I had him awesome. for all all three web classes. Okay, yes. And um, yes. I'm so incredibly thankful for him for for like teaching me about classes and ideas and yeah. the time that I I cried during his uh, web final. He took me in his office. He's like, "What's going on?" How like yeah. he it was yeah. a heart to heart, and it was it was really really nice. And um, I I credit a lot of like what I have going on to him because even when I graduated um I reached out to him um afterwards and I said hey like uh somebody's asking me about this contract like what do I do how do mm -hmm. like what's yeah. a WordPress developer <laughs> all of this kind of stuff and yeah. um he was he was so helpful and so just as somebody that has has gone through that experience with somebody else I'm sure that there have been people coming from your classes that they're like, wow, like, I didn't even know this was an option until I took this class. And yeah. a lot of the times it has to do with the attitude and the the treatment that they got from the professor. Because yeah. if it's a professor that's not encouraging at all, uh, you're not going to do that well. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and let me let me tell you something, too, uh, especially when I think to the last class that I, I taught. I actually always loved the design school environment. Um when I when I had teams at Google, when I managed teams, um, even on the, on the current team where I'm a lead, I try to uphold that that same type of culture. Um, I actually, get, I I actually felt so energized by the students uh, in my class, and for me as a designer, especially at different points in my career when maybe the work was a bit less interesting, that's what kept me going. So I was very grateful to the students for for you know keeping me excited energized and you know some of the conversations we had were very very thought-provoking and like I said the the class I taught at, at Penn Interfacing Cultures at the time I co-taught it uh 
and so I, I like I said, I, I, I taught this Web One course at Drexel for two years. Um, work was kind of getting intense at the time, so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to take a break from that so I can focus on on some of the work that I was doing a bit more. And one of my colleagues at EI had an opportunity to teach this class at Penn. And he came to me and said, do you want to teach it together? And that was, I felt like this is amazing because I can have my cake and eat it too. <laughs> so I had an awesome colleague and we would, we planned the course together. We wrote the syllabus. Um, it, it was a, it was a nice part of the, the Penn design curriculum. So not only the students, but then also riffing with him. Uh, was just the best. And again, that that I look back on with with very fond memories. Huh. But the students, you know, I, you're, you're asking me like, well, well, maybe I provided perspective for the students and stuff like that. And I, I, I hope I hope that is certainly uh, the case. Um, but I can also thank my students, too, in those classes because they kept me going. And that was a special thing. Sometimes uh, if I want to thank somebody for something or, or like credit them for something that I uh, I didn't know before them, um, I feel like sometimes uh, I'm afraid of overwhelming them or, or yeah. saying, I accomplished this thing because of you. Meanwhile, like I did it, but for some reason I can't say that it was just me. I have to say that it was like this other person. Do you do you relate to that at all? Or, or has anybody come out to you like, I did this thing because of you? You're like, well, it's, it's kind of also because of you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're the, that's the person who did it at the end of the day and, and <laughs> the time in the work. So of course, yeah. Oh, I, I, I did that the other day to uh, some, uh, someone who made something that helped me a lot. I, I turned him, I said, this whole apartment that I have was paid for because of this thing that you made that, that allowed me to make money and do projects and stuff like that. And his response was, uh, I don't even know what to say to this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, it was still nice to be able to say that to him because it was something I wanted to tell him. Thank of you course. for. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. So teaching was a good experience. So you go from, uh, from teaching to applying for Google the first time. Cause I, I remember hearing that, uh, there were, um, there were a couple of times that you went back and forth and, and you, yeah. you there were so many lessons that you learned. And yep. then when you got there, you were like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so the timeline there is I actually still taught while I was working at Google. So I, I taught from 2012, uh, two years at Drexel, five years at Penn. Uh, so to 2019 was my last semester. And actually in there, I did take one off because uh, we had had our first kid and mm. that was kind of like a, a life change and teaching. It, it takes a lot of energy. And at that point, Sebastian, uh, my my uh, co-instructor and I, we we had a uh, a pretty good process down for our class. Like we had the the projects all laid out, we had the syllabus figured out. So at that point, we had all the materials. So there was a lot less prep time. We'd modernize some of the lectures because you know a year can be a millennium in uh, tech, <laughs> but uh, the same basic principles were there, and those never changed. So it was it was pretty easy to kind of like you know, as, as time went on and we, we matured as, as instructors and 
we found our stride with the content, it, it became a lot easier and a lot less daunting. Um, but even still, uh, when when um, Bev, my wife, and I had had Harper, our, our daughter, uh, that was a life change. And I, I still needed to take that time off because it still felt like I, I'm a bit of an introverted person. So I have to really gear up to go into the classroom for four <laughs> hours and do activities and design exercises and lectures and you name it. And then go home and then re-gear up because at <laughs> noon was when class ended about. That's right when folks on the West Coast are starting their day at Google. So I had to re-gear it up for meetings. And oh, it's a lot wow. because you're switching context. Uh, and and that's, that's a major context switch. And I just didn't have the mental capacity to do that. And then also um, figure out how to be the best father that I could at the time. So I took some time off, then revisited teaching. And what I started to realize, like the, the students, all the students I had were, were super sharp. And it, it got to a point where I didn't have, I felt like I was running out of energy to, to keep up with like the questions that were coming in and stuff, especially with the context switching. Mm. And at that point I was, um, I was, I was a co-founder of this data visualization team at Google and um, my, my mentor at the time was really kind of pushing me to, to consider writing a book. And I thought, okay, I'm going to put teaching down. Um, my wife at this point was pregnant with Hudson, our son, who's three or second. And I thought, okay, at this point now, I, I think this is what I want to pursue. And uh, I've been working on a, on a book. I, I can't talk too much about it just yet. I'm actually going to announce it at South by Southwest uh, this spring. Wow. Um, but uh, it, should be, it should be out sometime late 2022, early 2023. And I've been working on it for about... Uh, See, my son is three, uh, yeah, about three, three and a half years at this point. Wow. And, and really, I stopped teaching to, to pursue that. Wow. I know that, um, that design books, or at least for, I can tell online that design books mean, mean a lot to you. What, um, uh, what prompted you to, to start? Like, that's, that's such an exciting thing, especially something you've been working on like yeah. that. Okay, that's a great question. So, it, the, the purpose behind it, the reasoning behind it is similar to that of teaching. So, you know, as I, I started working at Google and even thinking back to the electronic ink days and even prior to that, the work we do is very ephemeral. It's very disposable. Mm -hmm. And this is what I still love to this day about architecture. You work on a building, that building will hopefully be around for quite a while, but a website, a digital product, there's always going to be new iterations coming out uh, and fast. So some of that work that, that you really, you know, put your blood, sweat and tears into is just going to poof, go away someday mm. and someday soon. And I like to think that, well, maybe we had a few ideas that will live on in that product. Maybe we came up with a few new design principles that other teams have adopted and that'll live on in different products. And, you know, some of the work will kind of transcend the actual product itself. That's, that's the hope, but it's really hard to do that. And for me, a book is something you can hold in your hands. It's, it's real, it's tangible. And um, I felt like at this point in my career, um, I had enough experience that uh, I could leave something behind to the design community. And I don't want this to sound arrogant or anything. I, I had people at work egg me on to do this based on things that I was successful with there. So I thought, okay, well, maybe there's a market for this. Maybe there's something there. I shopped the idea around with a couple publishers. It actually took me about a year to find a publisher. And I, I did last year. And I thought, okay, this is, this is something that I can leave behind. Cause now like, as, 
So I've been getting older in my career. I'm probably about halfway through it at this point. Um, I'm thinking about what's what's that legacy, right? Like what what can I give to other designers that maybe they'll they'll take on and and run with and make better? And and that's what I'm focused on now because otherwise. I'm just making things that are disposable to some degree. And I want something that's going to have a little more longevity. That is such an interesting point to bring up because um, that is something that you experience a lot. I mean, I guess you could say architects do that too, because sometimes their buildings get taken down and the new ones get built up and stuff like that. But um, creating a digital experience, creating uh, an app or, or, even creating a whole branding system for a company that like I don't know dissolves or something like that there's something that is kind of unfinished about that or there's there's weird closure about that yeah absolutely yeah so that that was kind of the the thing there um thinking about like what I could give back to other designers or how could I help a future generation of designers that's, you know, another reason why I was interested in getting into teaching too. How do you feel about, um, like, this might sound like a tangent, but somebody told me once that uh, um, civilization and, and modernism and, and uh, development and everything like that uh, isn't always linear in terms of history. What do you think about... Um, buildings that were made that nobody knows how they were made or I don't know even a lot of the the space landing all of that lost technology what do you feel about that yeah I mean I feel like all that is still kind of going on right it'd be great to have a better way of capturing some of that knowledge and you know I like to think maybe some of those ideas have lived on or manifested in in other ways that maybe we're not aware of their their origins dating back to something like that um, but yeah, I, uh, I don't think I'm giving a really good answer to this question. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's definitely, it's an overwhelming, like huge question. Um, yeah. uh, it, it feels, um, very, uh, strange. I, I, I think that when you think about, uh, a long time ago, like when they made the pyramids, when they, uh, did all these things, how, how people in Italy were able to make is like these domes that nobody really understands how they even had right. the math for that and stuff like that. It, um, to me, it kind of makes the significance and uniqueness of a, a one human experience a little bit more significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that idea? Yeah, I mean, ab- absolutely. Um, I, it, it, when you bring up something like the the pyramids and stuff, I mean, you know, I I, I would love to know how the geometry and, and the math was so exact and correct. <laughs> like, I would love to know what kind of technology they actually had at that time that they were using to achieve that or or even the construction. And it's it's a really fun thing to think about. Um, yeah. Huh. So um, I, I I think that also um, somebody told me one time uh they they were they were talking about um uh getting older in in design and he was he was afraid he didn't like to tell people his age uh, because he was in in web design because he didn't want to seem like he was getting phased out or like he didn't know as much as or he wasn't keeping up or anything like that and I was like 
what are you talking about? Because coming from graphic design, everybody knows um, like all of the the giants that's been that have been around forever, like a lot of the pentagram people and stuff like that. Yeah. And and you look at at the amazing things that they've done and the incredible legacy that they're leaving behind. Like if they didn't write something down or if they didn't have something recorded, um, I think it'd be such a shame. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. And just kind of under, understanding like the thought processes that went into to some of those pieces, some of that work, um, I think is super important. Um, one thing that I found that that has kind of helped me over the course of the time is being able to connect two seemingly unrelated things into some sort of solution. And, um, you know, when you talk about like knowledge that might be getting lost, it makes me wonder if something somebody did that along the way. And some of that knowledge is living on in a different, you know, way that we're, we're not mm. quite aware of. Right. But even having like documentation of someone's thought process, whether it was, you know, one of the pentagram designers that you had mentioned, or maybe like a great uh, data viz uh, designer from, you know, hundreds of years ago. Uh, I, what, what gets me excited about the work is actually the thought that went into it, the time, the context, and, um, you know, the process that they, that they took that led them to that, that particular outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I don't know if you have an answer to this and if you don't, it's fine. Um, are you considering an audiobook for your book? I'm, I'm not because unfortunately okay. it's very visual in nature. Oh, got it. Okay. And yeah. I did talk to the the publisher mentioned it, but also kind of was in agreement. Yeah, this might not oh. be the the best kind of format for an audiobook. Got it. All right. Yeah, yeah I, I read uh um I've had uh, a bunch I'm not a, a big reader since since school and being forced to read all of these books and stuff like that. But um there there have been a few books that that I read through that were design books. Um and, and actually like page through everything in the, the the hardcover and um there's something that's that's so uh I don't know there was something that was so interesting about it. Uh like reading through um Don't Make Me Think by uh yeah. by Steve Krug and everything yeah. like that. Like they completely change your your mindset on yeah. all of these things um when when it comes i know you can't talk about it much and that's okay um <laughs> but when it comes to the content in in your book and the things that you you're trying to convey to people and make sure that that the next people get this information doesn't get lost um uh what what kind of things can people come to you for is can you talk about that at all yeah, so I, I'm all so a lot of the work I'm doing today, and probably for the past four years now, and and this really even dates back to the electronic ink days. Um, kind of like when I found UX, um, one thing that the folks on the team at Electronic Ink really excelled at, and something that I realized I loved, and and didn't really know it before I got into UX, um, was I, I love maps and graphs and visualizations and infographics. Yeah. And when I start to when I started to think about okay, like wh why do I like these things? There's an underlying visual language in pretty much any visualization that you're going to look at, any map that you're going to look like at, and even even some infographics. And I started to realize like I love visual language. And you know, the without saying too much, 
Uh, there's a, a major component of that in my book, and uh, it's it reframes some of the ways in which we communicate our designs um, through the lens of like a visual language. And uh, that's about all, all I can really say at this point, or if my publisher is going to get mad at me <laughs> divulging too much. Um, but I, I think there's something there in helping designers, um, especially those who might not come from the the fine art background or the graphic design background that we did, um, mm. better communicate ideas and use visual language to communicate new and interesting concepts in their work. Huh. That is like, I know this sounds extremely cheesy, but the whole thing of like a picture is worth a thousand words, yeah. a visual representation of this is going to communicate a million times better than you trying to hand them like three paragraphs and yeah. like figure it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've seen that even back in the electronic ink days, um, you know, several times when, when people could really rally around a drawing, especially like executives and, and folks that aren't designers, it really took some sort of picture to kind of get the conversation going to facilitate it, to build on an idea. And, and the book hits a lot of those notes and it will. Do you think that there's something um, powerful about that? About using images to communicate ideas? Yeah, or um, uh, breaking down this whole communication yeah, block. Absolutely, absolutely. Because um, again, I'm, I'm trying, I know I'm kind of being coy here. Uh, That's okay. <laughs> we'll yeah, put, it'll, it'll yeah. make a little more sense when, when the book is out, hopefully. But um, the audience actually isn't, in this case, designers, it is to some degree, but if, if you think about it, um, so at Google, it's no secret that design thinking is a core part of our um, product development process. And a lot of times we work with engineers, we work with product managers, um, you know, business partners and stakeholders um, to, to come up with an idea together. So for us as designers, we're almost looking at people that are in these other disciplines and functions as, as a core part of our design team and thinking about the way in which we can all be comfortable in communicating our, our ideas and even getting some of those other folks with subject matter expertise that we don't have, but is important to our process, more engaged in the creative process and being more comfortable with it. Those are the people that I'm trying to target with the book. Hmm. That's really, so um, if I'm understanding it right, it's, um, uh, it's, it's both designers, but also people that are working with the designers and have exactly. all of this information yeah. trying yep. to convey yep. it. Yeah, the people who are working together to solve problems and build products, how can we use visual language to get them more engaged in the process and get them more comfortable with sharing their own thoughts and ideas in a way that other people can add feedback or add to the idea and collaborate on it. So we're all use we're all using the same language to build an idea. Got it. That's so interesting. Are you really excited about it? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it ebbs and flows, right? Like it's yeah. it's you start the process all excited, like you do with most projects. Uh, it took me so so again. My my manager actually at the time who really kind of got the sponsorship to start our data visualization team. Um, he's pretty well known in the field. Um, his name is Manuel Lima. He wrote like the book of trees, the book of circles. He's done some Ted talks, um, huh. just very, very accomplished. 
And um, interestingly enough, when I, I went to transfer to his team, uh, the reason why I joined the team is I wanted to grow my data viz skills because it's an area that I'm very passionate about and love. Um, I also had read his books at that point and, and knew that we had a similar mindset. And this is someone that I could learn a lot from and I could probably, he could really help me flourish in my career. Um, and then it's, it's interesting because I took a gamble. I reached out to him. I knew there was an opening on his team. And he was telling me like all the things that they were aspiring to do at the time. They had worked in the Google Cloud product area. And a lot of the work they were doing was more for folks who are like developers, operators, site reliability engineers, network engineers who are monitoring systems. And, you know, visualizations play a major role in that. And if you think about the nature of like the metrics, the data that, that you're showing, how do you help a network engineer prioritize a, you know, the list of problems that you know, he or she mm. has to solve and, and what is the most severe and why? Visualization is going to play a major role in that. And more importantly, there's a lot of complexity to those visualizations. So how can we distill it down into something that's digestible, actionable, and so forth? So I figured this, for me, was the team to be working on. I could learn a lot from Manuel, given, given his experience. And um, as I got to know him more, <clears throat> I realized like we, we really think very similarly in, in how we practice design, what we value in design. Um, and, and he kind of lit the fire to start thinking about writing a book. And wow. for me coming from like hearing it from somebody of, you know, that stature saying, Hey, you know, I, I think you have a lot to offer here and, and maybe you should consider doing this. And then when I was on paternity leave, when my son was born, he contacted me halfway through and said, Hey, I've, I've been looking into this. I think there's really a market for this. You should really consider it. And something I like the subject matter is something I really love. So then it was like, okay, this, there's something here. I'm going to pursue it. Um, I spent a year to do the pitch to any publisher. You have to do a bit of a competitive analysis and, and landscape. So looking at books that might be similar, um, helping a publisher understand why your idea is different than what's already out there. What gap is it going to fill? Who's the audience? How are they going to benefit from it? There's a lot of research that went into that because I, I kind of knew inside what it was, but you really have to convince somebody with you know a lot of data and, and pointing to a lot of different things that exist today. So that took some research and time. It took me about, I would say a year and a half to do the research and to get the actual book pitch together, which was about a 20 page document. And it included basically um, an overview of the content in the book. I had to show a rough taxonomy and, and table of contents. I had to show the competitive landscape, even try to like help the publisher understand like target price points for the book and stuff like that. Wow. So it took a long time. And then, and then it went from there to meeting a few publishers. Um, some said, okay, well this, we publish design books, but this kind of isn't really in our you know purview or, or, wheelhouse. Uh, so I, I shopped it around. Uh, I had a, a bite from a publisher, some interest uh, in 2020. And of course, the pandemic was starting at that point, which actually really pushed things back a lot. And at that mm -hmm. point, that particular publisher said, okay, like the next step is we want to see some chapter samples. So before you even get like the agreement, I, I had probably about 20% of the book written at that point, which took me another probably nine months. Yeah. And then, and then um, a couple things happened. 
I wasn't hearing a response from that publisher. So I shopped it around with a few more. And again, everything was exponentially slower during the pandemic. Mm. So uh, now it's, you know, April of last year, I, I caught the attention of a, a publisher that I was actually really interested in pursuing to begin with. And then the rest was history. So at that point, I had about half of the manuscript drafted. And I spent the last, see, that was April. So we're at about eight months from then, eight to nine months um, working on it. I have about half of it submitted at this point. I have about another half to go. But I've been doing some peer reviews with some trusted colleagues that I worked with in my past. And Manuel, who I worked with, has, has played a role in advising me on it uh, all the way through here. So it's been, it's been a pretty epic journey at this point. And yes, it's something I'm, it, I'm very excited about. But it, you know, in describing this to you, uh, going back to the original question, the excitement ebbs and flows because you have yeah. all this excitement. You know, you first sign the deal. Oh, this is going to be great. Then you have to sit down and write it. And <laughs> you know, that doing, doing the research is fun. And I, I feel like I might have heard you mention something similar in a podcast. Uh, this was a reason for me to reach out to other people that I've respected in the industry mm. and need to talk to. And I love that. I love the connections that it helped me build, the conversations that I've had with people. And I've used social media a lot just to reach out to some authors who wrote books that I, I really enjoyed and, and had relevant content to what I was writing and say, hey, you know, I'm writing this book. I'd love to get your thoughts and, and build some really awesome relationships through that uh, with some other people. And, and that's something that is like one of the high points of the process. <laughs> uh, the low points is when I'm going back for like the fifth or sixth time, refining copy or editing or... Um, in some cases, I have my own drawings are in the book and refining those to make sure they're just right. That's uh, a lot of work. And <laughs> my work day right now, the pandemic is helping me because I have a, would normally have a two hour one way commute from Wynwood to New York. And I would work on the train. Uh, now what I do is I take that time. I get up, I start work usually before seven. I work from seven to nine on the book every day. And then wow. 9 a.m. starts, I switch gears, start working, doing my Google job. And then um, I usually work nine to six uh, on, on all of my Google work. So it's, it's a pretty long day. And, and some of those days getting up at the crack of dawn to start really thinking about the book feels like a bit of a slog. And it takes a lot of coffee. And some days I'm really excited about it. Other days I'm not. Um, one of the things that you have to do or you know, when you're starting out with something like this is, is ramp up your social media presence, mm. uh, which is something that like is really difficult for me. Again, being a little more introverted and stuff, trying out different posts to see what resonates with people, building up more of a following. Uh, that's something that at least a publisher wants to see. So that in itself takes a lot of effort and energy too. And sometimes it takes a little bit of that away from the thing I love, which is writing the book. Yeah. Uh, so you know, we're talking about the lower points in the process or the, the things that feel like a bit more of a slog that for me, at least would be, would be one of them. Huh. So it yeah. seems like a, uh, uh, very much a labor of love. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. Yeah. And, and Manuel had mentioned that it would be too. And, you know, there's parts where you think this is going to be great. And then you go a couple months in and it's like, oh, why am I doing this? Or who am I to be yeah. writing this now? Um, but the, the people I'm working with at the publisher are super supportive and have been just amazing. So they're kind of like, 
been cheerleading me through the process, which I'm, I'm super grateful for. And I've, I've had a lot of support and even going again, going back to the electronic ink days, uh, I still have folks that I worked with back then that have been very supportive of this endeavor and have been helping me out with peer reviews and stuff. And I'm really grateful for that. Wow. Yeah. I really want to buy this book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of the, so I'm going to, I'm going to share more about it at South by Southwest. They're working Great. on the cover design right now. Um, there's <laughs> really, I'm really excited about the forward and, and who's contributing to that. Um, the interesting thing is, so that, that has kept me really energized and excited about the work. Uh, the other thing that I've done at Google is, so I've done a lot of work on data viz and, uh, was lucky enough. One of my colleagues and I wrote the, uh, guidelines for, um, data visualization for material design. So if you've ever been to like material.io, um, looking at that design system, uh, we wrote all the guidelines for data viz there. And it was based on work we had done with several different product areas within the company. So for me, that was like a, a big fun accomplishment. Also a precursor to writing a book. Cause that's, that's a, a, a really, you know, a, a good platform to, to get some knowledge out on and, and help me build confidence for this. Uh, but the other thing that's keeping me excited is we've pivoted from focusing on visualization to data accessibility, um, which I think is a really important topic. So um, if you think about inclusive design and accessibility, uh, data visualization is a very ableist term. It, it works mm. as soon as somebody can see. I mean, it even has like a full field of vision or can see every color in some cases. Um, so, you know, what we've been thinking about recently is how can we re represent data in ways uh, that provides value and insights to everyone? And that gets back to that core mission of why I joined the company to begin with. That really gets to the point of this is the type of work I want to be doing. Uh, so when I switch from writing the book in the morning to focusing on something like that, there are two things that I'm very passionate about. So even though the days are long right now, um, it just keeps me interested and, and kind of focused as, as I move through the day. And that work has also been opening up some really interesting opportunities for collaboration, um, a lot of opportunities to learn. And really, I feel there's a lot to be done with data accessibility. And um, you know, we've just begun our work in that. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how maybe we can play a role in influencing other designers and the rest of the industry to start thinking about it a bit more too. That is such a uh, a problem that I really didn't think about the fact of all of these charts and graphs. Like, what do you, how do you describe this? Like you just, yeah. you can't just put that in the alt text under yeah. the thing for the screen reader. Exactly. That is crazy. How, exactly. And also ones that, yeah, exactly. Data? Yeah. Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> how, how do you point out something that's interesting to somebody who's looking at the visualization based on the recent trends? What, what trends are they looking for? If they're even looking for trends at all, you know, like what kind of patterns might they find interesting? So how do you figure that out? And then how do you give that to somebody? Uh, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. And, uh, you know, we, we've been thinking a lot about it. I've actually been, been giving some talks on the subject and stuff recently with like Philly Kai and, um, I'm going to be talking about that more at South by Southwest too, when, when we announce the book. Um, but those are the two things right now that have really kept me kind of focused, excited and, uh, and energized. And there's some, there's some actual like commonality between what's going to be in the book and, and things that we've been, that have been on our minds about this data accessibility work. So it's not as big of a context switch as you might think. So it's kind of easy to, to go through the day right now. 
Okay. I know I'm rambling right now and uh, I I, I lost track of the last, uh, (laughs) the the last part of the discussion. No, no, no. It's, it's what, what you were talking about um, uh, with the accessibility and and everything like that. um, uh, I think that that's like a huge um, uh, ego check um, for people to even um, be, try to, solve a problem in which for the most part you've never even experienced and trying to put yourself in these people's shoes asking these people questions of things you've never experienced that I feel like that even just outside of the design just the just getting started that Mm -hmm. is such a um uh um an experience I don't know that's the only way I can describe it yeah, and, and you know, we, we've been working with people who rely on assistive technology to consume web content, uh, which really has informed a lot of the decisions that, that we're making. We've learned a ton um, from some of those peers, some of those partners. And uh, yeah, it's, there's, there's not a lot of documentation out there. Like you can find how to make a basic pie chart re- like accessible enough to like meet compliance standards or a line yeah. chart. And, and I mean, there's doc, there's, there are some loose guidelines, there's some research out there, um, but it's still kind of sparse. And then if you think about, okay, that's a basic chart you might find on a mobile app or like a dashboard, but what about a more complex chart, like a network visualization, where we want to see how thousands of nodes are connected to each other and of that, what's the most influential node or like a very complex mm-hmm. flow diagram. Uh, that's where the design challenge gets a lot meatier and a lot more difficult to solve for. Well, I'm, I'm so excited to read your book. I, it's going to cool. be, it's going to, I'm going to have a, uh, don't make me think. And then your book, which the title, <laughs> I don't know yet. And then, um, Oh, what's the other one? It says like a teacup on it. And then the, the spout yeah, is like favorite, over your yeah, handle. The Don Norman book. Um, yes. The design of everyday things. Yeah. Yeah, That'll be my, uh, my, uh, um, bookshelf. <laughs> yeah. So, so you mentioned the, um, the don't make me think that was actually my first, uh, venture into exploring UX. This was even like right before really? I joined electronic Inc. I read that book. I had a colleague, um, who I was working with at the time who was actually already at EI read that book. And he said, you got to check this out. It just totally changed the way that I thought about everything. And, you know, I felt, I read it on a, a flight to Chicago is a pretty quick read. And I had felt the same way at the time. And, and really it gets more into like the basics of usability and, and interaction design and, and, and basic things to think about. But it was, it was fantastic, especially for me at that point in my career. Uh, it's still one of the books I remember most uh, to this day. And of course, at the end of that book, uh, Steve Krug had a whole list of other books that you might be interested in. And, <laughs> and uh, Norman's book was in there. So naturally that was the next one I bought on Amazon. And, and I read that and it was, it was fantastic uh, because if I remember correctly, now this was years ago, I read that book, but it's, it's truly a classic. I, <laughs> this day, I will never look at a door handle uh, the same, <laughs> you know, and I still make the mistake, like some doors with a vertical handle, you know, you're the affordance is to, to pull the door and it's a push door. And yeah. I, I always think back to that book, uh, slide projectors where you might have to double <laughs> click a button to make it perform a different action. If you single clicked the button on the remote, 
all those things. And when he goes off about like light switches and, and all the common products you use in your home and how they, they don't have the right affordances, they're not intuitive. It really does a nice job of changing the way that you think about, you know, the design of things. And I, I love that book. It's one of my, it's still one of my favorites. Don't you think that, um, I have a, I have a hunch that, uh, books that are written by people who focus a lot on user experience are easier to read. I can see that. Yeah. 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 They're, they're a lot easier to read than like my biology textbooks in high school. Yeah. Well, I feel like a lot of folks in UX are really good at storytelling. So making things intuitive and, and makes sense for people. So I think a lot of that thought goes into the writing too. And yeah, and I could think of a lot of good data viz books I, I really love too, like that I read later in my career. Well, I'll definitely every book that we we mention, I'll put in the the description so people can go and find it and everything like that. But uh yeah. um I wanted to bring up two things uh before we wrapped up, um, because sure. I think that you might find them really interesting. Um, the first one is, um, have you ever read the book, The Experience Economy? No, I haven't, actually. It, um, the whole reason why I'm, I'm doing this is because I found, uh, I, I went to this, this uh, free lecture when I was living in New York on that internship, um, mm-hmm. and it was at the, the agency Huge. Um, yeah, of course, yep. I, I went there because it was free, and I was like, how is this free? And so I showed up. And um, they were, this one woman was, uh, the whole lecture was about this book and it was incredible. It, it totally changed the way, like in my mind, um, if, if somebody is coming from a country that like doesn't even have capitalism and then they come to a yeah. country with capitalism, you, you have to change your brain oh, and yeah. how you interact with goods and all this kind of stuff. For me, it's like my change was going from, okay, there are goods, there are services, and mm-hmm. there are experiences, but the experiences are like going to an amusement park or something like that. Yeah. That's what I thought existed. Reading this book, uh, she said, okay, so there are goods and services. Yeah, that exists. But unless you make it an experience, unless you make it memorable, unless you make yeah. really focus on how this person's interacting with it, it's just yeah. going to become a commodity. Yeah. And so I was thinking about it, like, oh, so the way of getting out of the I'll just take whatever's cheapest. I'll just um, go with which, which, whatever's closest. Getting out of that and, and somebody coming to you for you is making yeah. it this experience. Exactly, and yeah. it, was, it was incredible. And after reading that book, I did a whole like um, senior project on the book. And I was like, this is, this is the coolest thing ever. So that, that awesome. was a, a huge book. And if you have any time, I know you're super busy right now, but maybe sometime in the future, you might, they have an audiobook, So you might be able maybe to I'll do, do that. that. <laughs> that sounds good. You know, when I start to commute up to New York again, when, uh, we officially return to office. Uh, I think that might be a good idea. And the other one I wanted to to uh, bring up to you um, is it's this uh, it's like an hour long video again not sure if you have time for it but there's this guy um, his name is Brett Victor um, and he uh, was a programmer back in like 2008 and mm-hmm. he was talking about um, the the beautiful thing that happens when um, creative people uh, people that make things people who are do- designing things what happens when they're able to develop that thing very quickly yeah. and then go back and forth and the, yeah. the different things that you can do to um, 
he said that there are ideas that are unlocked that would have never been able to happen unless you had that quick back and forth. It was so cool. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen that video. It it is. Oh, you have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was a while ago, but I've seen it. And, and the way he describes that back and forth is, is really interesting and all the value that unlocks in the process. I thought it was so freaky because now things are happening when meanwhile at that time, it seems like unthinkable. Yeah. 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 It's been a while. So admittedly, like I'd have to go back and and, and watch (laughs) it again. Um, But I I do remember it being a, a great video. Oh, yeah. I, I was telling you something you already knew, but <laughs> anybody no, that's listening, <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I, uh, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, yeah. And I, I, yeah, it's, it's a good resource. Thanks for bringing up uh, Steve Krug too. That, that's, <laughs> that's a trip down memory lane for me and, and Don Norman too. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I feel like I got so much out of out of talking to you today. It's it was really, oh, really, really fun. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this was this was fantastic. Yeah, I I hope it was insightful. Uh I mean, I feel like uh it's getting a little late here in the evening <laughs> and, and my brain's starting to fade for the, the day a bit. And <laughs> it's 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 weird because like um you know, the, the things that I've been focusing on lately in my career, you, you're so focused on like a niche area and, and you're, I feel like I'm filling like my brain capacity up with all that information. <laughs> it really gets hard to think about things outside of that and like mm. answer questions outside of that. So uh, I do hope this was, uh, this, this was, <laughs> this was fun for you. It was definitely fun for me. And, and I hope the folks who are listening, uh, you know, might've, I hope they've enjoyed some or, or maybe all of it. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that is um, like doing this is, is so fun. Cause I, I really get to know where, where people come from, like who yeah. they are, all yeah. of these different things. Um, I feel so like uh, uh, blessed that people are like even willing to come on and hang out with me and tell me about their lives. So I really appreciated you spending two hours with me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah. Um, I'm happy to, to, provide links to the books that I had mentioned or, you know, more information of things that, you know, we talked about and stuff too. Perfect. Well, the, the way that, that I end the podcast, um, is, is the same. I'm sure you've heard it before. Um, the, the way that I end it is I, uh, reintroduce myself. I, uh, say, um, uh, like where people can find me and all of these different things. Um, and all of that would be linked in the podcast description. And then I hand it over to you. You say who you are, where people can find you. And then we wrap up. Does that sound like hey, a good plan? Let's do it. Yeah. Perfect. Alrighty. Oh, that was so fun. Um, hi, <laughs> my name is Emily Giordano and, uh, this is the great design lead podcast. Uh, I am a uh, web designer, web flow developer, and UX person. Um, it's like the most fun thing in the world working on projects, whether you're, you're, uh, making them come to life or you're, you're planning them or you're talking with different people to figure out what they even want. Um, it's, it's so fun. Um, if you want to reach out to me, be friends, come on the podcast. If you have a project that you need somebody to help you out on, um, you can find me, uh, email me at emily, E-M-I-L-Y, at greatdesignlead.com. Greatdesignlead.com is my 
website. It's also my Instagram and my little YouTube channel where I make uh, web reactions to apps and websites and all this kind of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, that's a little fun thing that I do. Um, yeah. And so if you wanted to find me anywhere, that's where I am. Uh, and that's enough about me. And we'll hand it over to you. <laughs> sure. So my name is Kent Eisenhuth. I am a staff UX designer at Google. Um, I lead Google Cloud's data visualization program, at least the UX side of it. And I'm fairly active on social media. A lot of my posts are about design and, and art and creativity and architecture. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel that actually focuses more on drawing, uh, especially people for people who aren't designers. Uh, so feel free to check that out. It's a little more experimental in nature. I'm testing out some content there, more to come in, in future months. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn um, is another channel that I use. Um, you can email me my first name dot my last name. That's Kent, K-E-N-T dot Eisenhuth, E-I-S-E-N-H-U-T-H at Gmail. And uh, would love to hear from you, connecting you, uh, with you on social media. Uh, feel free to reach out if you want to chat. Perfect. It was so fun doing this and thanks for the extra time at the end. And uh, sure. I guess this is just goodbye until next time. Absolutely. Well, thanks for the invite. This was an amazing experience. First podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, really fun. Uh, so thank you for having me on the show. It's an honor. Absolutely. <laughs>